Praise the Lord. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 5. Just want to get you there. I'll read and we'll ask the Lord to guide us again. Isaiah chapter 5. I am finding this book very intriguing. Isaiah 5. I'll just read the first four verses to get you there. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. <clears throat> take a moment now just in, in solitude here for a moment to ask the Lord to guide us to as always you want to give him a burden that's on your mind and you may maybe you're just praising him tonight for his goodness let's take a moment Lord, help us to learn from your word what you want us to know, that we would live for you in a fruitful way that honors your name, that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ, and bears the fruit that you desire. Help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about the many advantages that you and I have. And I'll just use my, my own story for a second. I was born in the Bronx in 1962 to a stable family. And I realized that all families have weaknesses, mine included. But relatively stable, a dad who worked, a mom who stayed home. Eventually, when I was about nine years old, they moved to Lake Ronkonkoma, which was a nice place to live, not too far from the lake itself. Not a big house. My father didn't make a, a whole lot of money, but again, a lot of stability. Went to the Sachem schools and got a good education. A lot of blessings, right? Running water, especially compared to what we heard, some of the things we heard this morning. There are some places in the world um, where they don't have these kinds of advantages. For me, too, I was able to get to a good college. Most of all, the Lord saved my soul at college. What a blessing, what an advantage to have salvation come to you and I. And then, Sheila and I have had the privilege of being involved in good churches in many places. Good church in New York City, good church upstate New York, good church in California, good churches in Long Island. Blessings, advantages. And in America here and where we live in Long Island, we have access to many books and seminars and internet, and we can take in God's word at many junctures. So many advantages. Don't you think with all these advantages, it would be wrong to just fall deep into sin? Imagine me just start drinking a whole bunch, leave my family, 
Wouldn't that be a waste? My concern for us is that with all we have, that we take full advantage of using it for the glory of God. Does it make sense? And the reason why I say that, when you look at tonight's passage, you're going to see that the Lord blessed Israel in so many ways, and they blew it. Not always, but at least in this passage for Jerusalem and Judah, at that juncture, they blew it. Reminds me of John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your What? Don't Waste Your Life. Especially if you're saved, right? What an opportunity to let your light shine. The two men we heard this morning are not wasting their lives. One of them told me that he feels like he's the Lord's freed man. In other words, heroin had such a bondage on his life that it's, he just has such a joy in freely being able to serve the Lord and maybe that's why they're willing to make these sacrifices. Because heroin was a hard taskmaster, he told me. I can just imagine. Let's go to Isaiah 5. Starts with a song. Let me sing for my beloved. And again, this has nothing to do with marriage. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. What you're going to notice about this vineyard, it's going, it started very well, it's going to be taken care of very well, and it should yield wonderful crops. Just like you in your backyard, if you had a, a plot and um, you rototilled it and you put the fertilizer in there and you watered it and the best seeds, you'd figure you would have some great salads that summer, right? And fruits. Watch what happens here. The vineyard's on a very fertile hill. Verse 2, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. So the rocks are taken away, good vines are put in. It even goes further. He built a watchtower, nothing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Was this watchtower so that there could be someone looking out so animals don't ruin the vineyard, perhaps. He used a, out a wine vat in it. I mean, you can make the wine right there. But then here's what happened tragically. He looked, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. These kind of grapes are rancid, stinking grapes. Now, of course, you know the Lord is the one who, you know, sets up vineyards, right? And he gave Israel the best. They had his covenants, his truth, sacrificial system. But the fruit was bad. Watch, verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge between me and the vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? It's almost like the Lord's frustration. It's a good point, right? He gave that nation so many blessings. Sounds like, remember the New Testament when it says, He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? I mean, Jesus, I mean, the Lord gave 
us, his son Jesus, to die for us and to rise so that we could be forgiven. And then he gave us of his Holy Spirit. We too, like Israel, have so many advantages, don't we? And by God's grace, we want to yield good fruit, amen, and help each other to do so. We don't want to be like Israel here, where the Lord would be frustrated with us. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? There it is again. It's like you going in your backyard and little tiny scrawny green tomatoes and with bugs in them. It'd be a shame, right? You did it right. You gave the right fertilizer, everything, and you set up traps for animals and still didn't yield what it should. Spurgeon said this of this passage. Oh, you that profess to be his people, what more could Christ have done for you? It's a good question, right? He paid it all. All to him I owe, right? What more could the Holy Spirit have done, Spurgeon says? What richer promises, what wiser precepts, what kinder providences, what more gracious patience? What did the Lord do for you and I? So much. Oh, how he's blessed us. Think of the precious promises we have. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I wonder why in Romans 6 he starts off by saying, what shall we say then? Shall, I go, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? May it never be. We've died with Christ. We've been buried with him. We're risen with Christ. No longer should we use the members of our body as instruments of unrighteousness. Amen? Hopefully we're all growing, at least not like we used to be. We're always growing. It's a, it's a fight. It's a warfare. But I believe you and I can win. We can be more and more victorious. So we want to be fruitful, don't we? I mean, for us, remember Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. What shall separate us from his love? Nothing. So many benefits, so many advantages for you and I. Let's go now to verse 5. Now watch what the Lord's going to do. Since they did not yield the right fruit, since they misused his grace and his goodness, since they didn't take advantage of his word and his precepts and his laws and commandments, since they did not obey him, look at verse 5. This is tragic. And now I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its wall, it shall be trampled down. I'll make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. And I also will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. He's going to destroy the vineyard. This is terrible. He's going to remove his protection. The hedges are going to be removed. Animals are going to get in. Gee whiz, it reminds me of some of the churches of Revelation where there was a threat even to remove their lampstand. 
Brothers and sisters, it's sobering to think through these things. What would Jesus say to our church now? I'm happy to say that I believe we're on the right track, but for all of us as individuals in a church, we always probably think we're better than we are, right? To some extent. Hopefully we think about ourselves with sober judgment. Meaning, you and I always want to consider how we can lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race with endurance. Amen? Let's keep doing that. You want to spend an hour a day with the Lord. What a, what a wonderful thing. You and the Lord, at least an hour a day. Prayer, meditation on His Word, however you got to do it. I believe that'll do something wonderful for your life and my life if we made that kind of a heartfelt commitment. Not just a legalistic thing, but to really want to be with the Lord. And we're having this fellowship where we encourage and strengthen one another. And as I'll mention later, I'll read the verse, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We're a team to help each other to bear fruit. We don't want to come up short. Go to verse 7. So you say, well, what did they do wrong specifically? Well, this is going to mention it here. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Now watch this now. And he looked for justice, and behold, what, 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 what did they do? Instead of justice, bloodshed. And he looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Distress. The Lord was looking for the right things in his people, and they weren't there. The opposite. In another place, when we get to it, not tonight, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's our society now, people. America is not a perfect country. It never was perfect. But it started pretty good with a lot of God's word. Perhaps that's why we've been so blessed and we've been good to Israel. But man, we're going downhill fast. And it wouldn't surprise me if even America is judged. But we're most concerned about the church. It's actually a play on words here. He looked for justice but got bloodshed. The Hebrew word is almost the same. It's like mishpat and mishpah. Let's talk about injustice for a second. When I read the Bible, the Lord does not like when the poor are mistreated and when there's violence against the innocent. And when people mistreat, what types of people? What groups of people? Widows and orphans in their distress. In the book of Amos, I'll remind you, the Lord told the house of Israel there, same kind of thing. I hate your feasts. He said, I don't delight in your assemblies. He wouldn't accept their burnt offerings and peace offerings. Uh, he didn't want to even hear their praise songs. And he said to them in Amos, chapter 5, I believe, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The Lord is interested in justice. We should treat people the right way, especially as a church. 
Also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. It is good to go against abortion and to try to encourage women keeping their kids. It is good that we support Long Island Youth Mentoring, which Jose's involved in, and Rob Robinson, where they've taken on a, a young man to spend time with who, whose father may not be around and whatever else, don't have the support. These are good things. Do we care about these good things happening in society? Sure. The main mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. But along the way, if there's a widow in your neighborhood and you help her mow her lawn, you're doing a good thing. You, got, you realize that? What does the book of James say? Pure religion is to help widows and orphans in their distress. We can't forget these things. Sometimes we forget that we've got to let our light shine before men in your neighborhood. Let your light shine. Come alongside people. Isaiah 61.8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Micah 6.8, you know it. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. Interesting. To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's biblical justice. But the Lord didn't find it in Jerusalem and Judah. So here's something that he's pinning on them. You know what else he pins on them? Take a look at verse 8. There's going to be a crass materialism. Um, very greedy. Even taking advantage of the poor. Verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there's no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. From my understanding of this passage, the rich were taking advantage of the poor and were stockpiling. Remember when Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Same thing. Here we find these people are, they're going overboard. I mean, how many houses do we need? Even if any of us struck it rich. Let's say I wrote a book and made millions. So that, that means Shill and I should have houses in every state? Start driving around in Jaguars and Rolls Royces. Do they have Rolls Royces anymore? I don't even know. Rolls Royces. You know, change my lifestyle completely. Potentially, if any of us won some millions, we, it might corrupt us. People want to win the lottery? You know how many people got messed up winning the lottery? Well, it depends how you use it. I've always said if you're at your job and you're doing such a good job and your boss wants to quadruple your salary, praise God. But now the challenge is how you're going to use it. Jose gets a better job and Brenda comes in with a mink stole and that diamond rings... Very expensive ones. You can picture it right now. But you think about it, what would we do? 
If one of us was like Billy Joel, as famous as Billy Joel, would we have a house on the East End like his? And, you know, and they have all these cars, these guys, and motorcycles, and, you know, they just go overboard. They stockpile. That's what the rich were doing there. Well, let's camp in this thought because we're in Long Island. Now, here it is. Think about it. How can you and I use what we have for his glory? That's what counts. Hey, I, um, when I was part of Transformation Life Center, there was a board member that lived in Greenville, South Carolina. I visited him. Really nice house. But you know what was great? He would let missionaries and others stay there. Sheila and I stayed there one night. I forget if any of our kids were there. But it was kind of like door number one. What, you know, which, which bedroom do you want to stay in? Door number one, door number two, door number three. But this man was very generous. He even gave us money for homeschool books because we were near Bob Jones University where a lot of the homeschool material is. And this guy gave a lot of money to Transformation Life Center. And then eventually, I think they started one down there in Greenville, South Carolina. So brothers and sisters, all of us have to, I can't, you and I can't legislate for each other what to do with our things, but I can encourage you to go by biblical principles. And the more you do for the Lord's kingdom and give to his work, the more you're storing up riches in heaven. That's all I can tell you. I want to do it myself. Let's talk about this for a second. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he'll either hate the one and love the other or he'll, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And by the way, you could put something else in the blank. An idol is anything that gets in the way of you serving God. For young people, it could be video games. You could video game yourself to death, a Christian young guy. Could be anything. TV, sports. I'm from a family where my relatives, everything was watching every single Yankee game, every single Jet game, every single. It was just sports, 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 sports. No Bible. What is it that you do that keeps you from doing more for the Lord? Think about it. I've got to think about it. You've got to think about it. Speaking about the rich um, taking advantage of the poor, there's a section in James chapter 5. Same principle was, same thing was going on. Listen to this rebuke to the rich who would take advantage of the poor. James 5 verse 1. Come now, you who rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and it will be evidence against you and, you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. By the way, when we die, how much can we take? You have brought nothing into the world, you take nothing out of it, 1 Timothy 6. So, you might as well lay up treasure in heaven. Be wise. Hey, there's nothing wrong with investing. There's nothing wrong with saving. But it's all in the right type of measure. Sheila does not have to have $5 million when I die. She, she won't have anywhere near that. Not even a million. But you know what? 
You're looking at somebody where I can tell you that God has been ever so faithful. When I went to Los Angeles with $4,000 in 1991, leaving my job as a New York City school teacher, the Lord provided everything I needed. I made $7 an hour as a, as a custodian at Grace Church. And that, granted, that was the early 90s. But the Lord was so good. There were times people with lemon trees would say that I could take their lemons. You know that I was up there. You guys know me well enough to know I was up there shaking those lemons. Grace had an opportunity sheet with uh, all kinds of things that Grace people either were giving away or selling at a low price. The Lord provided. It was a time I didn't have a car on the road. I had to take my car off the road. But the Lord provided a good friend who's on staff at Grace Church now, Rick McLean. And he and I in his yellow Volkswagen bug would go to Taco Bell during our break from our custodial shift and get our burritos and bean burritos. But we made it, and the Lord supplied. Sometimes it's more exciting when you have less and you see the Lord supply. I don't know what, what that is, but it's, it's exciting. And then I come back and I go to Transformation Life Center, and we lived in a little bungalow up there. Hopefully you'll visit with me someday up there or go by yourself. And low salary, low everything, but what a blessed time. And found a master's grad across the river whose 30th celebration I wanted to go to, but my car broke down. But the Lord provided. That church, Grace Bible Church of Wappinger Falls, was a blessing to us. Had to drive 40 minutes to get there, by the way. But it was worth it. He was a 1986 graduate of master's, and he allowed me to study under him and be ordained and all of that. I want to tell you that the Lord supplies you don't have to worry seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added why should we live in luxury like these people you know and and take advantage of the poor I, I know none of you are taking advantage of the poor by God's grace right but we don't want to live this luxurious self-indulgent style lifestyle well there was a presumptuous man remember remember when Jesus said this in Luke Luke 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. And he said to him, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not he who has the most toys wins. Right? We might as well use our toys for his glory. And he told them a parable. You got a good car? T pick up people for church. Whatever you got, you can name anything. Use it for his glory. It's not what you have, really. It's how you use it, really. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, look at this presumption. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I'll tear down my bonds and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have um, ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He had it made, huh? No, he didn't. He was living for material possessions. Just like the presumptuous ones or at least the ones... Uh, people that are like this that say they would go to a certain city and do business, and the Lord doesn't like that kind of presumption, right? 
because we're like a mist of vapor. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow for sure. I made my plans. Nothing wrong with good planning. You and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. No presumption about how much money we're going to get and what we're going to do. And this guy was presumptuous. And verse 20 is a real killer, right? But God said to him, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is everyone who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Didn't Jesus say not to be anxious? Does he take care of the birds of the air, the lilies of the field? How much more are we? Right? If God so clothes, Matthew 6, if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. To the Gentiles run after things. Always worried about material things and money, and it, it just co consume with it. Sure, we should work. Sure, we should, you know, if any man doesn't provide for his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. Yes. But you and I know what it is to be consumed with something like that. Do what you got to do. And as families, as couples, serve the Lord. I was thinking about this. You know, parts of the Bible say that uh, how good it is to be single because you can serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Well, let's pray that husbands and wives serve God together. I know some people have unsaved wives in our congregation and that, and we pray for them. And, but we want to even be sacrificial in that sense, that you were to say to your husband or wife, let's really serve the Lord together. And for some of us who are single in this room, or in this church, or hearing today, what an opportunity to really give your all for the Lord's work. I'd like to think if I was single, I'd be out there even witnessing more. I don't know if that would be the case. I don't want to be presumptuous and say I'd be out there day and night. But I'd like to think I'd, you know, if something ever happened to my family, Lord forbid, I might just be running the streets like a wild man witnessing. Maybe even go to the mission field. I don't know. But now, even being married with a family, I still want to kind of be out there too. More, based on what I heard today from those gentlemen. Brother says there's only one, only one life to live. I want you to think for a second. Remember in the book of Revelation, the Lord's evaluating the churches? And the reason I'm concerned about this is that in many cases he had some significant rebukes, right? Significant concerns. He said to Ephesus, Revelation 2.4, I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, if not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You remember when you were first saved, the enthusiasm you had? You couldn't put the Bible down. You were telling everybody about Jesus. You were regular in fellowship. And sometimes we tend to cool off. Let's see if we can heat up again, amen? That zeal. 
I told you before that I used to cry over relatives, used to shed tears over relatives that aren't saved. I don't do that anymore. I hope I can get back to that. A strong teaching on sovereignty is wonderful, but if it takes away our love for the lost, got to be careful, don't misuse that doctrine. Apostle Paul wept. Could wish himself a curse for the sake of his brethren. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I don't know how all that fits together, but somehow it's supposed to. Is Jesus first? It's a good question, right? Well, you figure if you give him the first and best part of your day, the first of your time, energy, and resources, you obey his commands to love him and to love others, love your neighbor, certainly love those in your family, make disciples of all nations, be involved in that as a team at the very least, and praying for it and working together. So whether it's car washes or outdoor barbecues and concerts, which we hope to have, and who knows what's next. What do you say to the church in Pergamum? I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teach of, teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. They were allowing false teaching in their congregation. Therefore repent. If not, I'll come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That doesn't sound good, does it? With all the advantages that we have, we want to bear fruit. And I believe we're in the right direction. But we have to keep going. Just like Paul told the Thessalonians to love still more. Blessed is the man who meditates in the Lord day and night. Bring it up a few notches. I used to have a stick shift car. In fact, when I was at TLC, I had a stick shift car for the first time in my life. And I enjoyed driving it. It was kind of fun once you got the knack of it. But those gears, you know, you want to you wanna get in higher gear. What gear are you in? If there's 10 gears, what gear are you in right now? You know, sometimes when we're first saved, you know, and then we go down. We get a little lax, right? Put in a higher gear. As Paul told Timothy, to stir up the gift of God that's within you. What about the church of Thyatira? Verse 20. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself, calls herself a prophetess, is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. By the way, for the New Testament church, the Bible says a little leaven does what? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All of us need to come to the church in the best way. With the word of God in our hearts and minds. Not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Having a good word for others. Amen. Not slandering and gossiping and all those kinds of things. Not coming in anger and bitterness. If you have a problem with somebody, you go to them and resolve it. Right. So that this place can be a place where people come. And when Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
May it be a love church, a place where God's love is truly there. Now go to Hebrews 10, and we'll close in Hebrews 10. If you're going to look ahead in this passage for other times when we go through it, there's actually, I think, six or seven woes. The next one we're going to look at next time, by God's grace, is woe to those, in verse 11, who rise up early in the morning that they may run after strong drink. Talking about alcohol. So if you ever read ahead in this passage, you're going to see all these woes because Judah and Jerusalem were off track. But go to Hebrews 10. I want you to see this. In a New Testament church, fellowship is a high priority and doing it the right way. It's my concern is that we come here the right, in the right frame of mind. Hebrews 10. Let's see. Let's get a little context. Go to 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. What a privilege, right? By the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. I'll stop there for a second. Do we have advantages over the Old Testament Jews? A better priest, a better sacrifice, a better covenant, better everything. The old covenant's obsolete. Mystery revealed. Amen. Jew and Gentile worshiping together. We can go on and on of the blessings we have. We've been adopted into God's family, chosen before the world began. Been given spirit, all spiritual blessings. Raised up with Christ. Let me go on and on. Blessings and advantages and opportunities. Amen? Like the Apostle Paul, we should pray for an open door for the word. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Let's not waver. Stay strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Keep meditating in God's word. Keep praying. Keep coming to fellowship. Keep witnessing. Do the basics. Verse 24, I love. And 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you realize when you come to church, you should be thinking about other people and how to encourage them? How can you and I come alongside each other to spur each other on to serve God faithfully and to bear fruit? That's what counts. So you've got to be your best, and I've got to be my best. So what does that mean? We're trying to nip sin in the bud. That, did I say it the right way? To nip? Nip it in the bud. Confess fast when you start getting off track. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. As you keep growing in Christ, you become a better benefit to the body of Christ. You've got to understand something about me. We've had a lot of different people in this church. Many characters. Many. But you know what? And I praise God for the church, not just me. We always give people a shot. And I can name some names, and the old-timers here would know who they are. If I say the no names of George and Bill Danielson and others, right? 
Oh, we've had guys here. Jimmy, who was living in a car. But you know what? We've seen some of them turn a corner. Could you imagine if those two men, Holden and Corey, came to our church when they were in the throes of their addiction? How would we treat them if they were coming to church to hear the word? We would be glad to hear for the word, right? We may have young people come in services smelling like marijuana. I do not like the smell of it. Never did. I never used it. I don't like the smell of it, but I like people coming to church. And imagine if a guy like that gets saved. They could be doing what those brothers are doing this morning. You never know. The most sinful guy in Medford could get saved. Amen? Do you believe that or not? we got to go witnessing. I want to do that. Rob Robinson told me that there's somebody he knows who might want to go to TLC, his friend that he visits in prison. So imagine that. The guy comes out of prison goes right to TLC. And that would give us an opportunity if we wanted to support somebody there because they do need some kind of support. And even perhaps visit. I know Rob, if his friend goes there, would want to visit TLC. It's a great place to visit, as you can see, from the testimony of these two men this morning. Because it's God's Word. You heard those guys. Three classes a day in God's Word. That's what does it for people. Salvation. And then the Word of God applied to them. And if we go, especially on a Thursday, we get a chance to interact with the guys there. They'll let us teach. They'll let us give testimonies, have dinner together with them. It's, it's really nice. I like going there. It's far. It's about two hours and 15 minutes or so. But it's a good use of time. Well, back to this verse as we close here. You see, I'm excited about that ministry up there. Um, let us consider how to stir one, another, one, one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And what, what does it say? But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, if that was written now, we're nearer to that day, aren't we? We're a lot nearer. So let's keep being steadfast and movable, abounding in his work, and be a blessing. What is it on the, how many listen to the Walk with the King broadcast with Dr. Cook? What does he say? I see the hand, Josh. Walk with the King. Amen. Let's pray. When you come in here, come in walking with Jesus and be a blessing to those around you. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Carl to close in prayer if he, if he wants to.